0: hello and welcome to another episode of the project purple podcast i'm dino varelli founder and ceo of project purple and today we're on the phone with pancreatic cancer survivor lupi romero lupi thank you for joining us
1: and,
0: Dino, you know, thank you so much for have, having me today. Well, we, we appreciate you taking time out of your busy day to uh, hop on the podcast with us and share some amazing, inspiring stories of your life. And, and I've got to be honest with you, Lupe, you know, um, I've been doing this now eight years. And I think I heard about your story probably about five years ago. And I don't know if you remember, I think it was like LA or maybe OC. It might've been one of our alumni, either Julie Weiss or Sean Vernosi that I think connected with you. And, um, there was a picture and I remember seeing the picture and I'm like, oh man, that's loopy. I-, I know who she is. And just like from afar. And then we kind of connected a bit, you know, over the past year or so with what you're doing. And so this is really cool to have you on, uh, the project purple podcast. Cause I've been following you from afar about your story and you're inspiring, you know, so many people with your fight with pancreatic cancer. So I'm really excited to have you on the podcast today. So. Thank you for taking the time. And with that, I'd love for our listeners at home to hear from you your background, you know, what brings you to this point in your life and how you've battled pancreatic cancer and some of the things you're doing. And I know we're going to get into what you're doing right now, uh, but I'd love to give the audience kind of some backstory about you and and your experience with the disease. Well, um,
1: six years ago, I was actually training for my 11th Los Angeles marathon. I had just um, turned 50 and I thought, well, I have to do my 11th marathon at 50, but I noticed that I had commented to my brother that um, when he would ask me about my progress, and I said, you know, I just find that I I get really tired and I I seem to get sick. Once I start running, then I get sick, and then um, I have to start all over again, and I was frustrated. But then I kept getting um, these symptoms like uh, severe back pain, and I thought, oh, shoot, this is like, you know, this is due to all these years of running and training, and I was getting a little discouraged, but then I was having other symptoms like flu-like symptoms and um, brown urination. I thought, no, this is not normal, so I'd better, you know, see my doctor, and so I did, and they first diagnosed me with gallstones, and I was admitted to the hospital, and, but when they did a few tests, blood tests, other tests, like CT, and they found that I had a mass on the head of my pancreas, and so then I was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, which was devastating for my family and I, and uh, so then my journey started. I started my fight.
0: So now, you're a 11th marathon, so... How when did you start running cuz that you were turning 50 that year when you were diagnosed so when did you did did you run when you were little or were you did you pick up running later in life
1: I picked up running later in life I actually started running at the age of 35 my oldest son was in the Marines and then I missed him a lot so I started running and it kind of gave us you know something that we had in common when he'd call me and so we would kind of share you know, um, he would run, too, and and so we would just kind of compare where we were, and then when he'd come home, I would have, I called them my war wounds because (laughs) of the, you know, the purple toenails, and sometimes my little music, um, little kind of fanny pack thing rubbed on my tummy. So, you know, it was just really nice sharing that, um, having that in common, and then sometimes my son would ask me, you know, like, well, how many miles did you do today? And I would say, well, I, I didn't because my head hurt. And he would say, well, what does your head have to do with your feet? And I'm like, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's true. So I would throw my running clothes on and I would just head out the door.
0: Now, do you but, ha- um, how many children do you have? Is that Because I know there's one son in Brooklyn, right? Is that the same son?
1: Uh, no, um, I have three sons. My oldest son, Louis, he's actually going to be 40 this year. Wow. He, he lives in Texas. And then I have my... Middle son, Richard, who lives not too far from me. He lives in L.A. County. And my youngest son, Robert, he's 28, and he just picked up and moved to
0: Brooklyn. (laughs) Oh, awesome, awesome. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. So were any of the other sons runners or no, just the one who was in the Marines? (laughs) Uh, um,
1: All three promised um, that they would run a marathon with me. The youngest one actually ran two marathons with me when he was in uh, junior high school and high school. And, but the other two just haven't gotten to
0: that point. Wow, that's so awesome that you were able to run uh, the marathon with your child. I've run a half marathon with my wife. Um, but my 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 boys, I think you and I talked about this a little bit. My boys are 12 and 14, so they're a little bit young. Maybe next year a half marathon for the 14 year old, but we'll see. <laughs> that, um, that, that'd okay. be a lot for them. But you know, you never know. That's so awesome, okay. though.
1: It is. It's very special to have one of your kids run a marathon with you. And I, you know, when I ran, I also dedicated each marathon to somebody who was struggling. I start, and every marathon I dedicated to. The military, the young families, and but when I was diagnosed and I met Julie Weiss, I never imagined that somebody would be dedicating a marathon to me. That was really
0: special. That is uh, pretty interesting that you were dedicating marathons before you were even sick, which you know is kind of foreign for me a bit because I think you know being in the charity space now. Before I, I wasn't a runner before I became, uh, before my dad was diagnosed, right? And so, um, I never ran, and and the only thing I know about running is running for, you know, a, a charity. So, but it also fascinates me that people that have never been touched or never connected to anything will run for a cause, and and that's really special, and that's something that I think is really interesting and really fascinating in my mind that you can empower someone or you can motivate or inspire someone to do something that's not even connected to that cause and that's really special and that's i think the world needs a lot more of that right now unfortunately you know with the way that the current affairs are but uh that's really the the special sauce i think in running um you know is to to have that connection and to have that reason and not just to go out because we can all run right anyone can go out and just run and get miles and You know, sometimes it's selfish that people do it for themselves for health reasons, but to do it for someone else, that's pretty special. And especially since you, uh, you know, you had no reason other than to do it for someone else, you know, you were healthy and you were fine. Yeah. So let's go back a little bit. So when you were originally diagnosed you go through all this and what you just described before about you know gallstones and kind of I call it the misdiagnosis of pancreatic cancer you know is far too common and happens to far too many people unfortunately as i see uh here uh, today and and in the past but once you got through that uh, you know diagnosis of pancreatic cancer what was that like for you and your family loopy
1: well I hold on to my faith and before I was diagnosed um, I felt like I had a strong relationship with God so even though it was devastating and we had our moments for me to this day I have never asked why me and I've never felt sorry for myself and I feel like this cancer has affected my family a lot harder than it has me and for me I would rather have it be me than my family members so I really have no complaints. Um, my husband was sick of a different illness, and he stayed strong for me. And this is how much this illness affects um, the family. Um, then, when I had a reoccurrence a year and six months later, my husband passed away two months later because it just was too much for him to bear. And so, um, but I just, um, for me, I just hold on to my faith. But my middle son is on antidepressants because again, this is this illness affects the whole family, and it, it's very, um, we all know what we face, um, you know, it, it's a, a fight that I continue on a daily basis, and I do pretty well, but I I think that's the hardest thing is knowing what my family has to deal with and what they've gone through.
0: That's pretty powerful stuff there, Luby, I mean, knowing that you're going through this and having that um, is just really special and inspiring to hear that. So when you got diagnosed, were you a Whipple candidate when you were diagnosed? You said that the the tumor was on the head of the pancreas, so I assume then possibly you were, or possibly, because then you said there was a reoccurrence a year and a half after that.
1: Yes, it was, um, you know, we started on, there are different roller coasters in life, but this particular roller coaster of pancreatic cancer started on February 12th, uh, February 11th of 2012 when First, I was diagnosed and we were devastated. You know, my husband said it felt like the whole building collapsed on him. Then, a few days later, um, we were told that I was um, a great candidate for the Whipple procedure because I was in, in excellent health and I was fairly young, and because the tumor was only one sonometer and at the head of the pancreas. So, four days later, I went into surgery to have this procedure. The doctor gave us a 90% chance that the tumor would be removed, and there was that 10%. My family was super excited, um, but my husband and I were worried about that 10%. So then I was taken into surgery four days after I was diagnosed, and the surgery was supposed to last up to like 9 to 10 hours, and just a few hours later, I was taken into recovery because when they opened me up, they found that the cancer had attached to the mesenteric vein. They closed me back up, and then they pulled my husband and my boys into a room for a second time, and they told them that there wasn't anything that could be done, um, that I had three to six months to live at the most a year, and so again, they were devastated for a second time. When the surgeon came into my room, like, the following day, I remember I just shook his hand, and I said, okay, you know, I know you did the best that you can, but what's next? And so then he was pretty shocked. Um, because you know, three to six months has never ever registered in my mind. I mean, that means nothing to me.
0: Yeah, to me, it's
1: like, okay, what's the next step? So then I was put on very aggressive. Um, well, actually, I was at a small community hospital, and it makes a huge difference to go to a facility that specializes in pancreatic cancer because this small hospital where I work—it's a—it's a trauma hospital. It's a good hospital, but it's not a, you know, a cancer center. So. Mm-hmm. Um, I have this very young very um, very very proactive oncologist and he had heard at that time Phil Fornox about an aggressive multi-agent chemotherapy it was fairly new it had just been released like a few months prior and he wanted to put me on this chemotherapy so he took that to the tumor board but this tumor board voted him down because they said this chemotherapy was known to have such harsh Side effects that they felt that it would really impact my short remaining life, and so they voted him down, and which makes me upset because that was my choice. I had already chosen to be on this chemotherapy. So then I was put on gemcitabine at the time that was big for pancreatic cancer, and it didn't do a thing for me. So then I went to UCLA to their um, cancer center, mm-hmm. and so those doctors immediately put me on the sulfornox and I've had great results twice with that Phil fornox. So then I was on Phil for nine months. So almost, um, I, I almost exactly a year later it was in January 29th of twenty thirteen. I then had a full successful Whipple procedure, and I was you know cancer-free for a year and six months. I literally jumped back into my life. I even took up skydiving, and so I continued to run. And then I finished my. Ele- I did two half marathons. And then I finished my 11th Los Angeles Marathon. But then, like I said, then a year and six months later, I had a reoccurrence. And then I was put back on more um, chemotherapy. I also had radiation. And the first time around, I tolerated the chemo extremely well. I was hiking right after the chemo, and I was doing four or five miles even with my pump. And I continued to work. But the second time around, a year and a half later, Then I had had surgery. I wasn't as healthy as I had been originally. Mm -hmm. That time, the chemo just literally knocked me off my feet. I mean, I just couldn't even eat or drink, not even a drop of water for five days without really having these violent episodes of, like, my body trying to vomit, even though I didn't have anything. So that was really harsh. And then, of course, I lost my husband, you know, so I had to continue my journey without my husband.
0: How was that losing your husband? I mean, that had to be you know you're going through the fight of your life, and then you have such tragic. That was
1: yeah, that was really hard. I almost lost him the year that I was diagnosed. My my boys almost lost their mom and their dad because um, my husband had um, these esophageal varices that blood. I mean, like I said, the stress really took a toll on nice. him. But that was I think if I would have lost him the year that I would. Uh, been diagnosed, that would have been super hard, but I strongly felt that he was just thrown back into my life, and he just had been sick for so long that, you know, he totally understood my illness, even though our illnesses were different, our symptoms were very similar, so he was just so, he just was totally understood, he pushed me to, to walk when I didn't feel well, he made sure I ate, I mean, he just knew what things were important, so... He actually left me with a lot of valuable tools that even to this day, even though it's kind of sad, that I think about him. I think about him pushing me, so I push for him. But it was it was very hard. We'd been together since we were teenagers. We're um, been together 38 years. You know, he was my soulmate, loved my life. So that was um, very very hard. I actually, since I was on aggressive chemo when he passed away, even before we buried him, I still continued my chemo treatment. So that was, I didn't really get a chance to mourn him. So now it was, it's was it been four years, and I think that now I've been able to mourn him more. So it's been harder now than it was because I had, a, I had to fight. I was fighting for my life, you know, back then. So and I'm still fighting for my life, but I'm not on chemo now. But So I feel like it's harder now than it, it was back then.
0: Well, I always tell caregivers, you know, like... When you care for the chronically ill, sometimes caregivers become chronically ill, right? And so like they, they forget to take care of themselves. And what you just said, I think you know, you're know, in the fight for your life, so you're worried about you staying alive and you're not really worried or concerned about anything else. And then now that you are still fighting, um, but it's not the same fight, uh, similar, but not identical. And now you have time to reflect on that. And I think that's somewhat normal. Um, but that's so awful, quite honestly, to have you go through that. I I I mean, I don't know what other word you would describe it. I know you said your faith is such a big deal for you, Lupi, but like to be battling for your life and then to lose your soulmate, I mean that's it's awful. And um you know,
1: my faith does keep me going because um um. Uh, I believe that he, my husband is part of something larger now, and mm-hmm. so um, that keeps me going. You know, But he's part of my faith now. <laughs> he's, he, you know, it's all tied in together.
0: Yeah, I I just uh well, you know I oh there there is a there is a higher being, you know, and not to get uh to make this a religious. Uh, podcast here, but I do believe in faith is, uh, you know, important in everyone's life and whether you believe in God or not, um, or what other, I should say, what form of God you believe in or what form of faith you have, that's truly important. And what I have seen, you know, people from various religions, you know, that that is something that's really important when people are going through, um, struggles in their life, but also as part of their life. Because I think, you know, I I grew up in the Roman Catholic faith. And, you know, we went to church every Sunday. Um, It was part of our culture. And when my dad got sick, that was something, you know, was very common to have a priest in the room or at the house. Um, And not just for, for right, last rites or anything along those lines, but just to be there for that spiritual backbone that my mom you know, uh, embraced and my dad embraced. Um, so, you know, regardless of what faith you are, I think it's important to have faith and to have some spirituality because that is important. And, you know, it could even be meditation, you know, and I mean, I know people look at that as, as a form of like their spirituality, you know, every day and to have that and to reflect on the day and reflect on where you're going and what's going on and how you can be better, you know, at the end of yeah. the day. And that's truly what the world needs and what a lot of people need, you know, is how do you, how do you become better and be positive and, and, you know, the mind, I've seen it in marathons, the mind can do some amazing things and I've seen it with disease. I mean, if you, uh, you know, not to say that everyone should, should go this route, but saying that, you know, you can convince yourself to to be cured or convince yourself that to get healthy, you know, from specific diseases. But I think it's in, you know, you need to do that, but you also need to do medicine, you know, like you need to do other things. It's just a piece of that. But if you are a strong mind and you have that positive attitude and you have some spirituality and you have faith, um, you know, that is so beneficial um, and, and, you know, it's not uncommon loopy talking to we had just had another survivor on the podcast the other day and he mentioned a similar thing about his faith and you know and and his belief and how he was he used humor as a way to combat like the disease and that was just him and he's actually the second guy it was it was a male there was another male on the show a couple months back and uh He used humor as well, you know, going to all the treatments. And, uh, you know, he said sometimes some people, you know, kind of walk in the room and have someone joking like that don't, don't have that same sense of humor. But for them, it really, really worked well and got them through that. So the the cancer comes back and has come back, and you've had this kind of this r- really roller coaster ride. Where are you today? Like you, you said you're not really doing chemotherapy treatments, but you are still doing treatments and you are still fighting the cancer.
1: Yeah I have a new spot on the pancreas and a new spot on the liver that they're keeping an eye on. I actually was in the hospital last week. I was in the hospital Thursday, Friday. I was released on Saturday back to work on Monday. I had they're thinking my pancreas bled into my intestines. So They're keeping an eye, and so this you know this, this journey just is constantly unfolding. But I keep myself very peaceful. I drove myself to the hospital. I was reading a book um, called Whisper, Hearing um, God's Whisper, and I didn't tell my family I was in the hospital. I until after you know I didn't want to worry them. They go through so much already. Yeah. So I just, um, once I had certain results and we kind of had an idea what was going on, then I called everybody. Of course, they were upset at me, but, you know, it just uh, I felt very peaceful being in the hospital and keeping myself calm and and uh, just in constant prayer. And it actually was a relief to me not to have people call me like every five minutes. And so that was, and, and the whole experience in the hospital was just the encounters of people that I meet, the, you know, sharing stories with different people. Um, but, yeah, so um, I continue with my journey. There's these constant new normals. I can no longer run. I really miss running a lot. That was my stress release for you know all those years, so I don't have that. I took up skydiving, and I bring other survivors with me. I've gone skydiving seven times since I was first diagnosed. I'm going again on August 18th. I'm excited. This time I'm going with a, a group of veterans. I've inspired these Young, you know, from younger to older veterans, and some of them are really nervous. So I love bringing people skydiving with me. I like, I really enjoy the experience. I think the icing on the cake is watching the newcomers come and go through the emotion of being scared and then you know, the anxiety and all that. But once they hit the ground, they every single person says, oh, I want to do that, you know, again, and that just really makes me feel good that it's something that they've been wanting to do, and because of me, it gave them that little push to do it. So, I've done that. Um, I try to keep myself healthy by eating right. I've lo- lost so much muscle mass, and I'm trying to get back to walking. That's my goal. Um, so, as soon as, you know, my health gets a little bit better, you know, then um but my energy level is, is better than it has been in a long time. And so um, in addition to taking up skydiving, I do a little bit of karate because it helps with my muscle tone. And I kind of picture myself like when I do certain movements, like I'm punching the cancer away, you know, like I'm punching this rock. And it's just like every time I, I do these moves and I do my kiab, and it's like I feel like I'm chipping away and my illness, <laughs> so that keeps me strong. And then I also started uh, my own um, online apparel business called Strive to Survive, and um, the reason that I named that is because just like we were speaking talking earlier, you know, trying to improve yourself, to me that means a lot, like striving to survive on a daily basis. Um, somebody asked me, like, why didn't you just name it Strive to Thrive? And I'm like, no, I... Strive to survive on a daily basis. I strive to improve myself on a daily basis. If I thrive, I think that's a bonus. But uh, so that keeps me busy. My business has taken up, um, the, has taken the place of my running. And I think uh, I've I've learned so much, and I'm learning. I've never been a business owner. Just something that just kind of popped into my heart, and I've always listened to my heart. And so, but I think the most important thing about my business are the people that I meet um, and these connections that I've made and uh, so that's that's where I am today
0: <laughs> that's uh That's pretty amazing, going back to driving yourself to the hospital, not wanting to worry your your children, and then you know coming back and then what got you into jumping out of planes, though? That's very fascinating to me. And you've done it seven times. So clearly it wasn't like a bucket list item, or maybe it was. But uh, what, why did you do it the first time, and why do you keep doing it?
1: Well, the, um, I don't even remember um, commenting this to a niece of mine. But after I was diagnosed, um, nine months later, when I jumped for the first time, my niece, it was um, her, a birthday gift. Um, from her husband to her and to myself for us to go skydiving because she says I mentioned it years before, and I don't even remember mentioning it, but she remembered. So then I said, okay, you know, why not? And then I remember thinking to myself, you know, I ran my first marathon at age 35, and I tried it once just to see what it was like. I didn't imagine I'd be running any more marathons. Mm -hmm. I got hooked. So I remember jumping. I remember as I was walking to the plane thinking, Gosh, I, I wonder if I'm going to get hooked on jumping. And sure enough, I did. So then I continued to jump. But the reason I've jumped so many times is that I mentioned to other people that I've gone skydiving, and then they always say, oh, I so want to do that. And I always say, well, if you jump, I jump. So that's why I've jumped so many times, because these people want to jump with me. Just I just jumped like two and a half months ago with a uh, a bunch of survivors. There were five of us, actually, and then I go to this veteran's, um, I, I it's like this meeting for veterans. My son's a veteran, so uh-huh. I, I just like to be around these guys, and then <laughs> so, at one of the meetings, they had a surprise for me. They said, "Loopy, we have a surprise for you. We're going skydiving. I'm like, <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> That's <laughs> So awesome. here we are. They, have the, they set the date, and I, I'm excited, but yes. The reason I've jumped so many times is because I enjoy it and because I tell people, you know, if, if it's something that they want to do and they want me there by their side, I'm there. They jump, I jump.
0: That's cool. That's cool. And how many jumps do you have to do before you can go solo? Isn't there a certain amount of number? Or no, does that, do you have to um, do training, I thought? I'm sure there's yeah, there training is,
1: involved. But... Yeah, I'm sure that um, I've heard in some places it's 100. Oh, you know, wow. It depends, I think, on the facility. I would never go by myself because... The one thing that I think the one thing that that really bothers me about this illness is that it has really affected my mind. I just feel like I have a little combination you know with all the chemo and everything that yeah. I've been through. I feel like I have a little bit of Alzheimer's and dementia, and I constantly lose my train of thought and then I can't reach you know it's like there's no place to reach for. For, um, to trying to, to, to reach for those memories or the word that I'm trying to say.
0: Yep. So I'm very forgetful,
1: and I would be afraid that I would forget to pull the
0: chute. <laughs> I would well, never go that, by myself. That's good that you know. <laughs> <laughs> First of all, yeah, in that good. matter, that you know that you would forget to pull the chute and that you wouldn't do that on your own. So that is good. Yeah. Well, keep jumping out of planes. That's awesome. I That is a bucket list item for me. I just have never... Uh, I've never gotten up the gumption to do it, but maybe one of these days we'll get there. Oh, and, you have
1: to jump with me. No. see, you said it. Now it's on your uh, second list. We're going to have to do it.
0: We're going to have to do it. Either uh, all of out where you are, you
1: come out to me. Yeah, you're going to... Lupe,
0: I don't you know.
1: it's on your list.
0: It's on my <laughs> you list. Do so maybe, maybe I will take that up with you if I get out <laughs> to OC and you're around and we're able to do that. I, I yeah, promise.
1: that
0: would be awesome. Um, well... That, that's pretty special stuff. And, that, and I love the, the spirit. And y- you have, um, you know, something in your voice is you said I had a very calm voice. You have a very calm voice, but it's very powerful. Um, listening to your story. And, you know, hearing you jump out of the plane and your fight in pancreatic cancer. How would you define in your own terms, pancreatic cancer?
1: cancer you know I've actually seen the cells at a university mm-hmm. they seem so harmless but it's such an aggressive deadly disease um, that is just to um, me it's, 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 it's a monster but it's a monster that does not define who I am It's a monster that I, um, even though it's in my body, I just, um, I choose to just keep it, I feel like it just, I I don't think about it, I don't let it control my life, I don't let it define me, um, I continue, you know, on a daily basis, I, I, I just continue my life, my journey, and, um... I dislike it. I've met so many people through this journey, and sadly, even just last week, I lost a really good friend of mine because with this cancer, when you meet people and you connect with people, it just totally accelerates the friendship. I've lost 10 friends to this cancer, and it just makes me very upset. And so you're yeah, talking about it. makes me emotional. But, um, but again, it doesn't define who I am. I don't think about it. I don't... Don't give it any power over who I am and my body. And but I tell people, you know, with or without cancer, there's no guarantee that you're going to wake up tomorrow. So just inhale life, the good with the bad, you know. But
0: yeah. <laughs> well, that's uh, that's true. I mean, you never know, right? And and I always say, often to families. And mostly to caregivers because um, it's post that we all die right and some of us don't have I mean none of us have a, an option on when we choose to leave this earth but we all will eventually at, at some point and some of us know in some way possibly with disease and others we don't I mean I had a best friend who lost his mom and got into her fight the night before, and the next morning, he got a call from his dad that she passed away in her sleep. You know, and, and so, you know, it's it's tragic, um, but uh, I think the disease is something that, um, you know, is is very difficult. Um, but we, again, we all do die at some point, and we all will leave this earth. Um, not to say that that's a that's a reason for why people should get these dis, these diseases and, and in particular pancreatic cancer, but that is a reality for all of us. No one's going to live forever, yeah. um, and so I think if, like you said, you embrace life and live it to the fullest every single day, which clearly you have done for a very long time, that's um, that's pretty powerful stuff. And then next question, and I know you've talked about a lot of changes but has there been anything in your life from this diagnosis in your life that's been positive?
1: This is not something that I would choose, but what's positive to me is I had a celebration of my life when I was a six-year survivor, and over 100 people came to my celebration, I would say more than half of those people people that i've met since i started this journey and i had a speech all you know ready and but when i looked out into this crowd of people that were there for me and i looked into each and every person's eyes there was just this overwhelming feeling of gratitude and then i just wanted to say something about every person that was out there you know it just does so i think the positive thing is uh, you know i I'm normally an introvert, but this cancer, when it comes to this cancer, I'm an extrovert and very passionate about bringing awareness and especially meeting people and making connections. So the positive thing are all the the, the connections that I've made, the friends that I've made on a daily basis. There's not a day that goes by that I at least have three or four people contact me to see how I'm doing here at work, on Facebook, at home, my friends, family, friends and family and um we lift each other up people tell me i inspire them and give them hope but that's how i feel about them everybody you know these people that i contact they lift me up they keep me going they give me strength so that's the one positive thing is all of these connections and those connections are very important to me These friendships that i make are very important to me and i'm thankful for that
0: Sorry, Lupi. We had some noise here in our office building, but I think we're good. Right. Sorry about that, Loopy, And thank you for uh, that explanation. And that's so spot on. I mean, it's pretty special. Um, it's interesting. I think when, uh, you know, when someone gets sick, how you realize, you know, who really cares for you in a way, right? I mean, you know, people who stay in contact and people who are there for you. I think everyone there's a lot of people that say they want to help and be there, but then I think when 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 reality sets in, I think the, the true friends and the true people that are really passionate about, you know, helping and being there for you really show up. And that's pretty special to have, you know, to have a network of people that are there for you during those times, good and bad, you know, and, and – you know, hopefully, you know, in the bad times, because when things are good, anyone can be around. Anyone wants to hang out with someone when things are really good, right? Yeah. (laughs) Um, (laughs) It's a lot harder when things are bad. Um, What gets you up in the morning?
1: When I wake up in the morning, um, I'm I'm good right now, but my husband's anniversary of his death was a few weeks ago. And sometimes when... when I wake up in the morning, I weigh—I feel like I weigh 300 pounds. Sometimes it's really hard to get up in the morning. But the first thing I do is I thank God for the morning. I thank Him for the day before, and I pray for guidance you know, through, through the rest of the day. And I do my little prayer. I do my meditation. And then I just feel joyful. And what I do is I just live one day at a time, and I just... I trust God, I love God and I just have him guide me you know um, through the rest of my day and what gets me up in the morning i I keep myself busy busy with events and um, I volunteer for like uh, different organizations like Pancan or the Hirschberg foundation and and then I, I I don't know why I stay really really busy I have always done that my whole life, but Um, So I wake up, and I always have something to look forward to because it's so important to have something to look forward to. So I have a few events coming up, and I start thinking about those events. I get excited, and it's mostly my pancreatic family, believe it or not. you know I have birthday parties and things that I'm going to, but when it comes to events that have to do with pancreatic cancer, I just start thinking about that and the people that I get to see, my friends that I get to see, people that I get to meet. Like, you know, I was excited about today and, and talking with you and doing the podcast. And those are the things that, that keep
0: me going. That's awesome. Well, I'm glad that uh, we got you excited to be on the podcast and not nervous. <laughs> I'm sure there's a little bit of nervousness to it. But yeah. uh, we're excited yeah. to have you on our podcast. I was really looking forward to this, as I said in the in the opening. So So let's talk a little bit about... What you're doing now? You mentioned it a little bit about the T-shirts and the inspiration, but let's give our audience at home and give you the opportunity to share. Uh, you know what you're doing right now, which I think is really cool, and there's a lot of great meaning behind all this. And I know you and I talked a bit on the phone about it, but I'd love for our audience to hear at home.
1: I am, um my business is um, an online business called Strive to Survive Life, and like I guess that I. I've never done business. I've never been a business owner, but um, this uh, just—I've felt it in my heart, and I feel like it's the right thing to do. And um, this—it's more than an online business. It's just like I feel like it's uh, a. This is part of my life. This is who I am, and it's also an extension of my advocacy. I'm learning as I'm going along. I'm struggling, but my hopes—you know—to my hopes is to provide. information and resources I'm not there yet but I'll I'll get there but you know you have to be your own advocate especially through this disease because there just are not enough survivors to do research so um, I belong to these groups on Facebook whoopal warriors never give up we share information we just help each other out and so my hope is to be able to provide the resources and information and and pretty much My goal is to have my website be like her website and be able to help other survivors and give back to the community. You know, being a a six-and-a-half-year pancreatic cancer survivor, I am just so grateful because I know, like I said, I know what I face, and I know how blessed I am to even be here to be able to fight. And so um, I just want to give back to my community. And, again, the most important thing is making the connections that I make And so I just follow my heart, and I'm just moving forward with this. And I'm just kind of meeting people along the way. And I'm just so grateful because so many people have uh, have responded so well. And and so that's you know that's where I stand with that. And again, strive to survive to me is 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 part of who I am.
0: Uh, you now have a website and an Instagram, so we're going to share that information before we uh, end the podcast. Um, and that's awesome. And I, I think, you know, the world I've always said this we don't have enough alumni um, with this disease, and we need more alumni. So the more people that come out and speak about it, you know, I've been advocating and trying to strive to create awareness over the last eight years which is great. And there's a lot of other groups out there that are doing the same thing. But the more survivors and fighters that we get out there um, sharing and and doing things that you're doing, um, I think we're going to really make some tremendous strides over the next five to 10 years with the disease, uh, because that's what we need. We need need those folks standing up and, and being as loud as possible. And we're blessed to give you guys the opportunity to, uh, to take the microphone and, and to run with it and to share that because that's really important. And that's where you look at other diseases like breast cancer. I'll, I'll use them as my mom is a two-time breast cancer survivor. They've got a whole litany and list of uh, breast cancer survivors that are on TV daily. You know, so we, we need to continue doing that with pancreatic cancer to raise the awareness factor. And so thank you, Lupi, for doing what you're doing. It's awesome. I love it. I love it.
1: Well, you know, I, I, I totally agree and, and thank you for, you know, continuing to fight against this pancreatic cancer disease in honor of your dad, you know, Giovanni. I didn't know him, but I feel like through you I know him. And so the connections, you know, we're we're all one body, so we're connected. And so this was very meaningful to me that you know here I am talking to you because then I think about my sons, you know what I mean?
0: Yeah, no, I know. I I th- thank you for that. I appreciate it. My my, uh, you know, not that this is my story. I think it's got different meaning now. You know, it was about my dad, but it's so much, it's so much more evolved now, which is just awesome. Which is which is great, and it's because of people like you. So, the last question: What are the three things that you value the most?
1: The three things that I value the most are my faith, I and mean, that is just, I would be lost without my faith. Of course, my family, my sons, and my grandkids. And then um, I'm just really grateful that I am able to continue to work and have my routine because... Having had three major surgeries in the Whipple and the struggles that we go through, there are so many other survivors that aren't able to just continue their routine like I have. To be able to get up and get dressed and come to work, to me, that's huge. And so those are the three things that are
0: important to me and I'm grateful for. That's awesome. Well... Loopy, it's been great having you on our podcast. And uh, like I said in the very beginning, this is pretty special for me because I've been following you from afar for quite some time. And for our audience listening at home, I know we mentioned uh, some stuff just a little while ago. But if people want to reach out to you, uh, here's your opportunity to share with our audience how they can get in touch with you, whether it's I know you're on Instagram um, with you know, pancreatic, uh, pancreatic Cancer Survivor times three, Facebook. I know we're connected kind of all over the place, but for the general public, if they want to learn more about what you're doing and connect with you, how can they do that?
1: Uh, they could log on uh, to my website, um, uh, strive to survive.life, and my information is on there. And um, yes, I, I'm on Instagram, and I'm on Facebook, strive to survive.life, and also pancreatic cancer times three, and feel free to ask me any questions, um, anything that at all that you would like to know. You know, just feel free to 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 ask me. And then also, I mean, I think it's very important to get involved. So I think it's important. So I just strongly urge you to either get involved with um, doing an event, doing runs like you know Project Purple runs, volunteering or um, donating or even buying a t-shirt, 10% of my proceeds go back to cancer research. But I I think it's very important to get involved somehow, um, you know, any way that you possibly can, because you're right, bringing awareness and us, you know, fighting together and bringing awareness together makes a huge difference.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. And I I can't echo those thoughts more about getting involved and that's what we need we need you know another part of what I mentioned before about getting survivors and fighters the coverage that they deserve but also getting other people involved that's really critical so well loopy it's been great having you on the project purple podcast uh this has been awesome and thank you for the inspiration that you provide you are the reason among with the rest of the survivors and fighters and why we get up every day and do what we do day in day out here at project purple so from all of us at project purple thank you and it's been a pleasure to have you on the project purple podcast